0: When it comes to storytelling, it's really about um, figuring out what you're trying to accomplish, right? So there's a few different ways of looking at storytelling. Um, are you telling a story to entertain? In which case, you're telling a story one way. Are you telling a story to convince you're telling it a different way? There's there's kind of a thinking about what your goal is for this story. Now, if you're pitching a startup, you're always telling the story. And the story is about convincing some somebody into doing something they wouldn't have otherwise done. It's like if you're trying to convince a venture capitalist to give you money, you have to understand what the driving forces are behind the thesis for the investment firm they have. And against that backdrop, you can weave a narrative that says, okay, I have spotted a problem in the universe. The problem is whatever the problem is. I have found these team members. They are the best in the world. We all agree that this is the right problem to solve. All we need is a little bit of money. When we get that money, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And once we do X, Y, Z, the company will be worth $100 million.
1: Welcome to the Happy Entrepreneur podcast. This is a podcast for people who look at business differently. It's for founders, freelancers, change makers and freedom seekers who want to make money, do good and be happy. We choose the path of the happy entrepreneur not to get rich, but to express ourselves and serve others in the most authentic way we can. Many of us couldn't find our role by working for others, and so we chose to work for ourselves. We took the more uncertain path, not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We value learning, play, and friendship, and we have a need to make a meaningful impact in the world. By following the path of the happy entrepreneur, we learn as much about ourselves as we do about business. On this podcast, I have conversations with other happy entrepreneurs from different walks of life, industries, and countries. We talk about the journey and about what we've learned about ourselves along the way, For us, entrepreneurship isn't just a way to make money, but a journey of self-discovery and growth. If you're on the same path and are looking for inspiration and connection, then this podcast is for you. If you ever find yourself pitching to a VC or for any kind of funding, it's important to know how to tell a compelling story. When it comes to pitching VCs, hire camps, pitch coach author of Pitch Perfect and CEO of Conf, a virtual conferencing platform, says the three elements you need to remember are define the problem, say why you've got the perfect team, and demonstrate how you've got some traction in the market. In this recording of our Friday fireside, Haier shares some of his views on storytelling, startup life, particularly when it comes to dealing with venture capital, and why he believes it's important in business to not only tell compelling stories, but also authentic ones. Other things we touch on are the importance of building strong brands, being intrinsically motivated, and then general irrational behavior of people. Enjoy. Welcome again to A Friday Fireside. This is brought to you uh, from the Happy Startup School, Uh, and it's me, Carlos, and my co-founder, Lawrence?
0: it's <laughs> a smooth. a beautiful setup.
1: <laughs> and we have with us...
0: Hiya, hiya. <laughs> Oh, you couldn't leave it, could you? I'm Hiya, good to meet you. I am dialing in from Oakland, California, where it is uh, wonderfully sunny. I thought about... I have a fireplace behind me. I thought about turning it on, but it's like, yeah, that's a bad idea. It's really warm in here. This hat doesn't help, of course, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very warm. And
2: you just I got think. back and running, man, right?
0: i wish that was cancelled it turns out putting seventy five thousand people in the desert off their faces on drugs in a lot
1: of dust uh during a massive pandemic was a bad idea so they decided not to do that <laughs> it would definitely well it could have been a, like an evolutionary strategy as well though it could, um, it could <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah before we kick off um how how are you feeling today Haya? how are you doing
0: you know what? I'm doing pretty well. This week has been weird for me because I live in California, which is uh, eight time zones away from you guys, but I've been on Euro time zone this week uh, because uh, we were running a big event and I decided to kind of shift it. So now I'm jet lagged to all heaven <laughs> while I never left my house. So that's that's kind of a weird experience. Um, I've been up since midnight. So that's been a very strange strange life. So, so I'm a little well, bit tired, but I'm feeling in- expired. I'm glad it's Friday and I'm glad to be here with you guys. So, you're so you have a lot in the morning. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one. I've had a I've had a long ass morning. I'm on a lot of coffee and trying to kind of go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's So <how> we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, how about you Lawrence? Has has today been?
2: Uh today's been good. Uh very windy and bright in today. Got blown around down by the sea. Um I don't know, we've had we actually met real people this week. We went out like doing stuff. It's quite cool. Actual <laughs> real live 3D humans? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot what that was like. Um but, so that was cool. Did
0: uh, you have to walk around like this to kind of make a little Zoom screen so, so it was kind of normalized again? Like, oh, yeah, I, this this makes sense again now.
2: I just have my tape measure. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, and we had a midnight campfire on the beach last week, which sounded amazing, but actually was bloody freezing, is not it? <laughs> With our mate Kim and a few others from Brian.
1: Yeah, really relaxing until you realize the tide's coming in. <laughs> and so trying to move a campfire... As the sea encroaches, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting experience. Um, yeah, so no, I'm glad you're meeting people. I'm uh, on, on the opposite end. I'm not allowed mm-hmm. to meet anyone uh, at the moment because uh, my daughter was sent home from school with a cough. Mm. Of course, cough equals COVID. And so I had to get a test for her yesterday. And I'm just waiting around to be given the all clear fingers crossed to be yep. able to re uh engage with society but now I'm, I'm trying to get my head around um uh, supermarket delivery systems now and realize if you don't get in there quick you're screwed
2: <laughs> where have you been the last like 10 years
1: <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't trust
2: them i don't trust it's them like, i don't trust someone else picking my food <laughs> <You're pretty laughs> like anyway in the queue.
1: We're, we're not here to talk about Sainsbury's, we're here to talk about storytelling <laughs> and startups. Um, so what the, the reason we got high on here because a he's, a, he's an old friend and we've known him, I think it's at least five or six years now. Is it it was after since the, start, the dark I've ages, yeah, dude, 2015? Something hmm. like that, long ass time like ago. There. Um, and and you've you know. Serial entrepreneur, author, multi potentialite—so many different skills. It's 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 horrible. It feels really disheartening to just list those out and feel very very inadequate. Um, but your latest incarnation, oh, I would say latest incarnation. One of the things that you, one of many things that you've been doing recently, is write a book called Pitch mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and and you've been uh, you advising and you had been working as a as a pitch coach. Uh, for entrepreneurs and startups and so this was an opportunity for people who are maybe in that position of thinking about uh, what they're they're right on the edge of just about to start pitching and they're going to have to pitch for their startup or people even thinking about you know what does this thing about funding and pitching mean Um, so I thought it would be an opportunity to to share some of that knowledge to give people make sure they don't take the wrong turning and or or choose the wrong, wrong option when they're thinking about Building their business, and also then I think we're going to dove deep later into a bit more storytelling and stories and and, and your story, really. So maybe kick off for the, let's go basic for people who don't understand how you get money off people and where you start and and this idea of venture capital. Hmm. Maybe give us a one, uh, yeah, one hundred one on that stuff. Will do.
0: So venture capital is a weird beast in that it's kind of a. Um, uh, basically those guys work in finance. Lots of people think venture capital is super sexy and it kind of is, but it's a finance job. And really what you're doing is that as a as a venture fund, you raise, or as a venture capitalist, you raise a fund. So say, call it a hundred million dollars. That money comes from somewhere. Um, and the people who invest into your fund are known as limited partners or LPs. Now that money usually comes from pension funds, from uh, rich individuals, from, Uh, university endowments from like large chunks of cash. And um, if you think about it, if you are running a pension fund, then you are actually looking at um, uh, taking your giant $1 billion fund and make sure you look after that in a a, a safe way, right? So most of that money goes in really safe investments in bonds, in bank accounts, in whatever way you can keep it safe. And then you have a small little corner of your uh, pile of money that you do speculative stuff with. So say you're taking uh, 5% of your giant pile of cash and saying, okay, I'm going to try and take this 5% and double it. If I lose it, that's fine. We still have lots of other money, but I'm going to try and double it. So they do that by, by buying cryptocurrency or by uh, investing in really speculative stocks or whatever. And a small slice of that, they're like, well, this startups thing is nifty. What if I was someone somehow was able to put a million dollars into the next Facebook and I turned my million dollars into $15 million, right? So that's their mindset. Now, as a venture capitalist, you, you get all this money and you have to find a way of taking that 1 million they've given you and turn it into 15 million. Um, and that is really the backdrop against how venture capital works. So as a founder, if you're trying to go and um, uh, and raise venture capital, what you're really saying is that if you give me $15 million, I'm going to take that 15 million and turn it into $150 million. If you can't do that, if your company is, is running in a space where that doesn't make sense, don't go any, anywhere near VC. You just simply won't raise the money. It just doesn't make sense. And one example of that is if you're running like a little corner store and you think, if I had a million dollars, I could really make this store beautiful. It could be, could, could be the coolest cor- corner store in the world. You are correct. You could take a million dollars and turn your corner store into the coolest corner store in the world, but it'll never turn that $1 million investment into 15 million for the investor. And so that is kind of the big picture way of thinking about whether you should raise venture at all. Now, if you are in a uh, space where that is possible, so say for example, you're making a piece of software that takes, I don't know, DNA data and gives people a risk profile against whether or not they catch COVID and then uh, come up with a customized plan for how to avoid COVID or treat COVID. Now, in theory, that sounds like a really neat thing. There's probably a lot of money in that. And, that is really the base level of what you're doing. At, at, the, at a starting point, can you take the money that is invested and turn that into uh, a huge return for the investor? That's, if that is a yes, <laughs> then you can start thinking about pitching to venture capital. Uh, and from there, it's really just three things that people look for. It's the team. So do, do I have faith that as a team, your team can do what you're saying you're going to do? even if it's a very small team it's three people do i have faith that you know how to hire how to lead how to have vision how to build how to have tenacity and all that kind of stuff the other thing is is the market big enough to begin with you know is um is in this market is there is there a possibility to build a company that's big enough and valuable enough for me to get a return on investment if the answer is no so if you're doing something super good but super niche and it probably is never going to grow to a certain size so say you make a Uh, software as a service thing for scheduling uh, library books out of Brighton Library, it's probably very valuable, but it probably is never going to be big enough unless you have a plan to expand to all libraries or all cities or in some sort of direction, right? Um, And the final piece of it is um, traction. So how far have you gotten along your journey? Now, traction beats everything. So if you have the world's dumbest idea, but somehow it's throwing off tons of cash. So for example, if you're making a tool for booking books out of the library, but you're you're minting money, then people will pay attention to you. It doesn't matter how dumb the idea is, you know, traction beats everything. Now, traction can be in any number of things. It could be revenue. It can mean um, a number of users on the platform. It can mean active users. It's whatever is important and an important measure for how your business operates. And ultimately what pitching boils down to is how do you tell the story of, Hey, when you give me a million dollars, I will turn that million dollars into fifteen million million. Here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to build a really valuable business that is going to, uh, change the world in some way and is going to make you a fuck ton of money.
1: <laughs> so, that you know, that's a completely different world, I think, to well, at least myself and Lawrence are at, and I think for for a number of people who, who are just starting out their businesses, unless, like you said, you're not you can see that vision. But mm-hmm. at the core of it, whether you are pitching to a VC, whether you are trying to get some money off someone, or whether you're actually selling to a customer or a client, this idea of storytelling, I think, is core to everything. And and that's yep. where i i think it would be really nice to kind of dig into and and find out more you know you're you're you know you're a writer you've written so much um you you have probably some stuff and ideas that you have around storytelling you think that's, that can help people in terms of communicating what they do in a powerful way
0: yeah for sure i think i mean part of the reason i'm wearing this stupid hat is that it's about how to if you're in a podcast and you can't see me imagine me wearing a giant bear costume because Clearly, that's how you show up to a very serious uh, event. Actually, I'm going to take it off because it's way too hot. So now I have a stupid boy band here instead. Um, I, when it comes to storytelling, it's really about um, figuring out what you're trying to accomplish, right? So there's a few different ways of looking at storytelling. Um, Are you telling a story to entertain? In which case, you're telling a story one way. Are you telling a story to convince? You're telling it a different way. It's kind of the difference between a work of fiction like Iron Man, or a documentary like Bowling for Columbine, right, they're two extremely different ways of constructing stories. Now did both of those films become very successful? Absolutely. Did Iron Man change lots of people's minds about gun control in the US? Probably not. So um, there's there's kind of a thinking about what your goal is for this story. Now, if you're pitching a startup, whether that means and the thing is, you're always pitching, right? You're always pitching. Like from the day you decide to do something, it's about um, how do you uh, – you're trying to pitch your friends and family that this is a good idea. You're trying to pitch your first employees that this is something that is actually uh, worth doing. You're trying to pitch your um, uh, your very first investors, your very first customers. You're always telling the story. And the story is about convincing some somebody into doing something they wouldn't have otherwise done. Um, and it's really just about figuring out what the other person's journey really is. Like if I try and sell something to Lawrence or to Carlos, there's going to be a slightly different narrative there because the two of them might want something different from me as a investor or me as a, sorry, me as a startup founder. And so it's really about really deeply understanding where they are coming from and how you're trying to convince them. Now, um, in my day job, I am the CEO of a company called Comf, we run a virtual events platform. And of course, I felt uh, uh, felt compelled to ask Carlos if we could run this event on my platform, because I'm always selling I'm always on a mission, right? It's like now let's do this on crowd it called uh, Crowdcast. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I lost that battle. But ultimately, it's about trying to understand what are the driving factors be- behind choosing Crowdcast over something else. Similarly, if you're trying to invest, this is why I started with this long soliloquy about what VC is. It's like if you're trying to convince a venture capitalist to give you money, then you have to you have to understand what their driving forces are. You have to understand what their uh, fiducial responsibility is to their LPs. You have to understand what the driving forces are behind the thesis for the investment firm they have. And against that backdrop, you can weave a narrative that says, okay, I've spotted a problem in the universe. The problem is whatever the problem is. I have found these team members who are This guy has been in this world for 15 years. He knows this better than anybody else. The guy over there is the best coder I know. The guy over there is the best uh, salesperson I know. And her, she's the best person at operations that I've ever met in my life. Surrounding myself with these people. They are the best in the world. We all agree that this is the right problem to solve. All we need is a little bit of money. When we get that money, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And once we do X, Y, Z, the company will be worth $100 million. Really, what it boils down to is how do you tell that narrative in a way that is compelling and makes people lean in and go, yes, the only right thing to do with this $1 million is to put it into this particular company. And so it becomes a a narrative, uh, a storytelling arc from where we are today, uh, what the change is going to be. And what the conclusion is. If you think about it, this is how Hollywood does it all the time, right? It's always three acts. The opening act is you, you get to know the setting, the players, the universe you're in. In Iron Man, there's a suit that can fly. Fine. That is fine. You just accept that. Then there's a twist, right? There's a middle point. It's the hero's lowest point. There's something that has to change. Something has to, uh, you have to engage with it. And then there's the work towards resolution. And then there's a final bit that kind of wraps up the whole story. The same thing for a venture pitch. It's like, we have to change this problem. If we don't f- fix this problem, something bad happens, right? We have to fix COVID. The, the hero's lowest point is lots and lots of people dying. But here's here's the twist. We have a solution. We have a team that has worked on coronaviruses for 15 years, or we have something that is unique to um, to us that gives us a moat and a and a unique approach to how to actually do this. And it's, and the conclusion is we build this company, we raise this money, we make everybody stinking filthy rich. <laughs> and that's the story arc. And it's the same it's the same, essential story arc for pretty much every story you tell.
1: I love the way you've broken that down. And kind of storytelling is something that we, we talk a lot about a lot in 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 our community and also in the programs we do, isn't it, Lawrence? It's like kind of the key things of our campus.
2: Um. Now it's interesting what you were saying about how different how to pitch differently based on who you're talking to which sounds obvious but i always think what interests me interests everyone which might not be true but i'm always interested in the story of why like you talk about the team but i think of the founder or founders like why them why are they doing this what's their story and how does that connect with the problem yeah, they're, they're kind of obsessed by but in fact that um I don't know, do you see any patterns there with people that kind of get their message across yeah, in a more emotive way? And it's about
0: connecting with the person you're pitching to, right? So it's why us? Why now? Why this? And it's always like answer, answering the why the how isn't actually as interesting for VC, because uh, I guess if we're talking about uh, investment specifically, they are investing now, and they're not really expecting a return on investment until uh, seven to 10 years from now. So how you solve the problem, it's kind of re- irrelevant. You can pivot, you can change your mind, you can do all this kind of stuff. The important thing is the is the is the why us. So look, even if we have to pivot the product, why are we the right people to go out there and go and solve this problem? The why now is like the 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 inflection point. Why wasn't it possible to do this 5 years ago or why are we passionate about this now? If there's nothing like timely about this, then it's like, well, what makes you think there isn't like a 100 other companies working on this and have been working on this for 15 years? What has changed? Now, a really interesting way of thinking about that is um, drones, like the little camera drones that are flying around everywhere. They were huge a few years ago. They were only possible because mobile phones made all the technology so small. So like the, the uh, accelerometers, the processors, the cameras, everything became so small because it had to fit in your pocket. Now, drone companies, or drone, early drone makers, were able to buy those components and build uh, like drones for the first time, and then turn that into commercial products. Now, in their pitch, they would have said, look, five years ago, mobile phones didn't exist. So all these components that we need to build drones didn't exist. So five years no, for, ago, this product couldn't have existed. Today, all the components, all the bits and pieces, all the code, all the processors exist. And now we're finally able to build these drones that we've been wanting to build for 15 years. And I think that is kind of the, the, the the way to think about the why now, like has something in society shifted, has something on the macroeconomic level shifted, has have people like what has changed now, once you have that, it becomes the, um, the why us question. Mm. Um, So kind of weaving all of that together with, um, with the narrative, but again, the, the, the how matters a lot less. And in fact, I would argue that most venture capitalists actually don't give a damn what your product does. Mm. If it throws off money, who cares, mm-hmm. right? If it's stupid, but it works,
2: it's not stupid. And that's the interesting thing. We've, oh, sorry, I was going to say, we, we sort of preach this a lot, don't we guess, like try not to obsess about it, whether it's an app or how it works because I think that's the natural tendency for any early stage startup founder, I think, particularly if it's a tech product, just to go, look, isn't it sexy? Isn't, you know, And you're like, hang on a minute, let's right. just take a step back. It's quite refreshing to think that actually VCs um, take the same approach.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a little bit, it's kind of an obvious one, you know. If if you agree that the market's big enough and the product is worth solving. So, for example, to take a really wild example, imagine there was a big pandemic. There's probably a lot of money in fixing a big t- pandemic. If you somehow are able to do that with an app, great. If you can do it with a drug, fantastic. If you can do it with a piece of hardware, or a different eating regime, or whatever, it doesn't matter what the solution is. If you find a solution to this very, very big, very valuable problem, you are going to make a lot of money. Hmm. And, you know, that is what a pivot essentially is. Now, are you going to pivot from agriculture to an app, probably not. But if you have a, like a, a problem space that you're excited about and that your team is excited about and have really deep expertise in, there's a lot to be said for just leaning in and, and using that as your um, as your base for your story. Because even if the even if the context shifts, even if the even if you discover that your first attempt at building a problem, building a product to solve this problem doesn't work, then in the process of doing this, you've built up such a deep knowledge about this space that you get another shot at goal. You know the landscape, you know the players, you know the market. You've done a bunch of experiments that didn't work with your previous product, but maybe they work with this product.
1: I wanted to zoom out a bit on on this idea of, um, the way I put it, creating a story that connects yep. and, and having that as a story that's authentic. Mm-hmm. So on one level, there's... Um, you know, you're talking about why us. So there's this real story that you need to create this narrative of uh, mm-hmm. not only your skill set, but also you why you're vested in this emotionally and, and mentally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, like Lawrence was saying, sometimes, you know, you, you create something because you know it's good for you. But in that approach, you have to accept that it isn't going to be good for everyone. So there's a... a a level of actually now i need to find the right people who connect with this story and not get disheartened if i go up to someone say like you were saying with me and why don't you use comp for this for for whatever reason there wasn't it wasn't the right time wasn't the right story for me and so it's like with you you'll just go on all right i'll find someone else i think with a lot of people that we meet they want that story to be perfect so everyone likes it I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to speak to that, maybe that idea of resilience, but also that connecting to authenticity. I don't know if there's anything there that you've experienced or...
0: Yeah, I think the authenticity piece is is interesting because no, you just can't lie, right? You can't, there's no point in going into, it's, to talk to an investor or a customer or a potential employee, you know, especially let, let's talk about employees, right? So if you're talking about adding somebody to your team and you straight up lie to them, you say, look... Uh, you want to work here, that's great, because we are definitely going to grow 50% month on month for the next 12 years. And, you know, it's going to go massive. We're going to be able to pay massive bonuses. You're definitely telling them what they want to hear. So they're extremely likely to take the job. And it was all complete, utter bollocks. So as soon as they walk in the door, they go, wait a minute, the stuff you told me isn't real. Now, that's an extreme extreme version of that, right? But I feel like a lot of us fall into a pattern of telling people what they want to hear, even if they're little white lies or even if it's lies by omission. And that is a really bad way to go through uh, go through a sales process or go through a pitch process and that kind of stuff. I think the real magic of storytelling is telling the truth, but uh, placing different emphasis and stuff. So when I'm selling conf to you guys, I might... Uh, highlight some of the benefits that this platform has over Crowdcast. If I'm selling it to uh, another uh, customer, I might do a little bit of research and think about, okay, what do they really need from a platform? And I highlight the things in our platform that would really solve their challenges. If I'm selling, selling Conf with, uh, uh, to, a, um, to an investor, it doesn't really matter what the platform is. It matters what the business model is and how I'm going to go to market and what the traction is I've had to date. You don't give a crap about how I go to market. You don't give a crap about what my business model is. You just want your problem solved. And it's the same kind of, it's the same universe of stories, right? But I'm emphasizing different parts of the story because I can make a a pretty well educated guess about what you care about versus what an investor cares about versus what a team member cares about, right? You don't care that my team is fully distributed and 60% women. My team does care, right? And so it becomes a, how do you tell that story to different people and which part of the story do you emphasize? And I think that is really the magic of knowing your audience and telling that story. The other big challenge is, uh, and that's kind of the universal biggest challenge, that's what I spend a lot of time on with my clients is, Yes, you know you and you know your product, and you're so deeply in this. But you have to zoom right out, right? You have to zoom out far enough that people can get the big picture of the of the really basic stuff around why me, why now, why this? Uh, because people don't care about the minutia. They don't. They don't care about how many support tickets or how many things are in your product backlog, right? It's completely irrelevant data. And even though. And the reason I mentioned this, I just came out of a massive session of doing backlog grooming and kind of preparing the product. This is front of mind for me, but that doesn't mean that you, that's something you care about. You you don't, you, neither of you nor any of the audience cares if we have 20 things in our backlog or 5,000 things in our backlog. Makes no difference. They want to know what's in the product, right? To me, the backlog is a, is a, um, is a representation of the potential value of this, of my company and my product, but you don't care. So the way you tell those stories need to be different. If I'm telling it to a potential uh, developer who's coming on board, I can say, look, we have a thousand things we want to do. I really need to hire a developer because we can't get it all done in time. I really want to build this product faster. To a customer, I would never say that because they want to hear that the product is finished and it's working. So I'd be like, yeah, everything is fine. It's working great. These are all the features we have. And so that's where the authenticity comes in, right? I'm not lying to anybody, but I'm just trying to focus the story on the thing you care about versus the story a potential staff member or a VC or whatever cares about.
1: That's interesting. There, um, uh, when you're talking about um, being focused, so a customer being fo- focused on what it does, you know, you know, it's not necessarily what what it can do in the future. What is it doing going to do at the moment? Another level of that for me is also, um, for instance, when you were talking to me about Conf, uh, one of the mm-hmm. things that uh, was a motivation for me that isn't necessarily about the functionality of the product was how much time do I need to think about to learn something new and how easy is it going to integrate with what I've already done in the past. And there's that kind of um, level of uncertainty. Speaking to that emotional level as well as Mm -hmm. that kind of logical level, I think is what I'm trying to get at, Yeah, is interesting when we're talking about stories and trying to get stories to connect.
0: Well, and you get into behavioral psychology really quickly there, where you realize that honestly, it doesn't, people don't make decisions uh, logically. They think they do, but they really don't. Uh, People make decisions like with their heart, with their soul, with their, like with, with emotions. And then, you know, a lot of, you know, that emotion might shift based on information that comes in. But if you think about snap decisions, first impressions, all these kind of things are so important. And I think ultimately emotional is the only decision-making path. Because even if all the, if you make like a pro and con list, right? Of uh, should I date this girl or should I do this thing or should I start this company? It doesn't matter if the con list has a thousand things on it. If the pro thing is I'm really fucking excited about solving this problem, it doesn't matter how many things are on the con. And we've all been there, right? You've all been in this situation where you go, there's so many reasons not to do something, but I really want to. Or there's so many reasons to, I mean, I don't know if you can see how messy it is behind me. There's so many reasons to tidy up my living room, but I don't want to. I I, I want to talk to you guys. I want to I wanna work. I want to build a better backlog. I want to do all these things. And so ultimately, it's all about emotional drivers. And I mean, I, I imagine that everybody has felt that in their life, but the logical extension of that is that needs to seep through in your storytelling, because your storytelling is what tries to kind of place an emotional um, seed of something in somebody else's mind. I've seen the movie Inception. is a really good example of that. It's like placing the simplest version of an idea in somebody's mind. Well, you can either try and go six dreams deep and make a Hollywood movie, or you can just be a really good storyteller and actually planting those seeds for, hey, Carlos, are you really sure that this is the best platform for you? I think there's a couple of things that are not okay about this. Right? Seed planted. And mm-hmm. then the next time something comes up on this platform, you go, Maybe Haya was right. Right. I'm not gonna lie, Crowdcast is a great platform. There probably is nothing wrong with using it at all. But as soon as I plant that seed in you and you notice anything wrong about it, will you'll keep thinking about me. And you'll never forget about me for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Every time you get pissed off with, with uh Crowdcast. But that uh-huh. is storytelling, and that is the way you kind of plant little seeds. And you realize it's a long game. I don't have to convince you in one, one story. I have the rest of my life or the rest of your life, or the rest of somebody's life to convince you to shift to comp. And that's just the long, that's just the long, um, the long game. Because it doesn't make any difference. I don't, it doesn't benefit me at all to talk somebody into shifting to a different platform or to do something they don't want to do if emotionally they're resistant, right? And they're going, I don't really know about this. I don't feel good about this. Okay, fine. I'll do it. But then as soon as something comes up that you're not happy with, that's kind of confirms your initial emotional response. Like, oh, I I didn't want to do this in the first place. And now it's all shitty or something doesn't work the way I expected. And so you get this uh, confirmation bias thing going where every little sign that points towards your uh, initial gut reaction being right just amplifies that. And so there's no point in pushing against that. Uh, it's much better to just plant a seed walk away. And mm. then the next time, when, when, the, when the idea is ripe, uh, it'll come around again. And you'll, and, that, and that's really the way the storytelling piece works. I've uh, worked with some of my clients who've been working on the same, trying to convince the same VC for six months. And they finally go, you know what? Yeah, everything is right now. There's something that has shifted in the, in the way I see this market. Or I saw a different pitch where they make a really compelling argument for the size of this market, but I didn't believe in the team. But I suddenly remembered, wait a minute, I've spoken to a different team who is trying to solve something in this market. Maybe I should check in with them. And then they check in with you and they go, oh, yeah, no, actually, you were ter- terrible at telling the story about the market, but I get that now. Now we need to talk about the rest. And if it still makes sense, they make the investment. Um, there's no downside for VCs to keep talking to you again and again and again. They're, they can be fantastic time wasters, but it also means that there's an old kind of saying that uh, that investors don't invest on a the point; they invest on a trend. Right. So if you give them a single data point, they don't know which way you're trending. Give them two data points. Now suddenly you can draw a line between. It may have a trend. Give them 19 data points, and it's a trend that goes up and starts curving upwards. So it's an exponential growth curve for how your company is doing. Now suddenly you're talking lots and lots of interest, but also they have had like a process that they can go through in terms of making decisions about what they want to invest in, essentially.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So like the counterpoint between the post-rationalization and having data to back you back up. What I sometimes, what I'm hearing is also is potentially a gut decision already. It's already made, it might not have surfaced quite yet, but you've sown the seed of that decision in the past and and i think that whole tapping into emotion is is one of the aspects that we we've always talked about as you know lawrence you you always talk about designing for emotion when you're thinking about product design and 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 also presenting the work that we do
2: yeah i suppose because all the people we attract tend to be i guess driven by a deep need like a passion or something that's driving them that's beyond profit then i think generally links to something that means something to them. So hence the authenticity piece is really important, I think. Um, But I still go back to that point of just because we think it's important to design for emotion doesn't mean that people are comfortable opening up to them You know, in terms of being vulnerable about why is it then used to talk about, like why us? Um, It can be easy, I think, to just separate yourself from the business or the product and talk about that all the time and not, not connect your story to the story of why you're doing it. Um, But
0: there's also something in that, which is about your audience, right? I mean, I published something the other day, um, which positions conf as a triple bottom line company,
2: Um, Mm -hmm.
0: people, planet, profit in that order of importance in publishing that I'm probably scaring away a bunch of VCs who go, you know what, you're, you're actually putting roadblocks in the way for yourself. I'm just here to make a return for my LPs. You can fuck right off. I want nothing to do with this. And there will be other VCs who goes, yes. This is my mission in life. I understand what you're doing here. This is really important to me. And it's really important to our, our LPs because one of our LPs is a company that cares about the environment and that's part of their charter. Or, you know, and so this, this actually trickles up in ways that you can't predict. And so when you say um, that it's about emotional connection and not everybody connects with that, maybe that's just a beautiful filter. that the right. people who are not ready to connect at the level that you are willing to connect you know, you could, yes, you can try and design a product that filters all the, all the, uh, all the emotions out of it. We're just saying, okay, we don't have to talk about the soft skills. We don't have to talk about emotional connection. We don't have to, we don't have to talk about love in the context of business and passion in the context of business, because that feels really gaussian on English.
2: Mm-hmm. But if
0: you say, you know what? No, we are called the happy startup school, We're like right there in the name of the, of the organization is an emotion happy. Um, How do we connect? Does that mean that somebody who comes along who just wants to do spreadsheets and who just wants to be straight down the middle, straight laced, uh, how do I make as many pounds as I possibly can, maybe that's just not a good fit for the organization. And everybody gets a lot less stressed if you just admit that and say, you know what, Uh, it was lovely to talk to you. Maybe it's just not a good fit. Have a lovely life. Mm. Or come back when you feel that it is a good fit. Mm. And it just means you can just just shed that. Not everybody's going to like you, and that's Mm. fine.
2: Best to find that out earlier rather
0: than like, um, later. <laughs> yep. Well, that's been a long journey for me, right? Because I have, I definitely have some childhood trauma bullshit going on around um, having to feel liked, having to feel mm-hmm. like um, I was bullied a lot. And as part of that, I was like, okay, do I, you know, how do I get people to like me? And just letting that go. And that's only happened in the last few years, letting that go. And you like, yeah, you don't like me. That's fine. You know, go find somebody you do like and do business with them or, or do whatever you want with them. That is better for both of our times. But the 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 log, th- that is an entirely logical step. And I could have told myself that a hundred times over, but it's the emotional connection with that idea that it's okay for people not to like me, that is actually much more powerful.
2: And you see, um, like when you put that post out, as part of you thinking, I know there are investors out there who do value those things now. Maybe they weren't a few years ago. Are you seeing more and more impact investors um, coming on? That? I
0: do see more impact investors. I do see more people who care about the planet, who care about, you know, the political landscape as a, as a kind of context for how they place their money. I mean, money is power, right? It's kind of in, in the capitalist society is the purest. Uh, it's the purest uh, instance of power. So the more money you have, the more power you have. And where you invest that money, you can really have a huge impact in how stuff shifts. Mm -hmm. So I'm not here to talk about whether capitalism is a good idea, because that's a very long and very different conversation. But on the assumption that we live in a capitalistic society right now, then, you know, as an investor, where you place your money, you, you can invest in this company that gets you a... Uh, 10x return or you can invest it in this company who gets you a 9x return still really good nobody's going to complain but who also have a charter to do well for the planet for the people for all that kind of stuff and creates a good return and actually has a much more holistic approach that as a whole you can kind of um, amplify your opinions by where you place your money and i think what it really boils down to if you get really uh, philosophical is like what's the meaning of life you know, and how do you as a person uh, feel happiness? How do you feel connectedness with the world around you and your community and all that kind of stuff? And really the, the, the connection with that uh, kind of boils down to what you do in life, mm-hmm. right? How you feel happiness or what your meaning of life is translates into what you do for a living, translates into the people you surround yourself with, who you, who you marry, who your friends are, all that kind of stuff. And that is all like a big ball of that But given how much time you spend at work, doing work, it kind of makes sense that your business is is an extension of that. And if you think about how many people care about the environment, being good to people, being nice to each other, being compassionate and all that kind of stuff, it feels really weird that the biggest corporations don't have a particularly good track record for that. And you go, right, why am I spending all this time grinding away against doing something in a company that is environmentally iffy, is not really aligned with what my purpose is in life. And I think it's actually okay to ask those questions. And if you do, where I land is that I need to work for an organization that actually cares about the environment, that actually cares about having values and living those values. Other people might not care, but that's fine. They don't have to like me.
2: (laughs) I'll be transported back to a hot tub altitude now.
1: (laughs) Yep, no, that's definitely definitely a thing. And I think where I feel we kind of um, we've shifted towards the way I look at it is we're talking about the narrative of the business and how we tell a story that connects with VCs or customers. And then there's this idea of like, but what is this if the story of the business is to be authentic, how does Mm -hmm. that connect with my story? And there's this kind of narrative of like, okay, if I need to make this an authentic business with an authentic story, I need to know what my authentic story is. And yeah. I kind of, I heard you saw about that. That's the part of discovering what is my narrative? Mm-hmm. What, what's making me do what I want to do? And where is it I want to go? What is that story that I'm trying to tell about? I'm not gonna, I'm, I want to do the three, um, what did you say? Three triple, level, bottom line. triple bottom line approach to business because that's part of my story not a fad I'm jumping on, but Mm -hmm. that's come from somewhere because you now have this story about your life, about how you want to work.
0: Well, and I have no judgment around that either, right? If if your purpose in life is, look, I just want to um, have a wonderful life with my spouse and my kids and I want enough money to pay the bills and that's all I want to do. I want no stress, I want no nothing. And if you get that by working for a corporation that just pays your paycheck, wonderful. Right? There's no judgment. You do you. You do what's right for you. Um, if you have other values that are important to you, then I think what is emerging is that you no longer have to sell out those values. There are, there are choices. There are options. There are companies who care. There are employers who, who actually don't just play lip service to this stuff, but who actually genuinely care. Um, and especially in the context of the world we're in here with with this audience and being entrepreneurs, If you are a founder, you get to choose all this stuff. And you get to actually say, look, this is important to me. And, um, you know, I'm not going to downplay this in my narrative. I'm going to upplay this in my narrative. And I am proud of having um, more women than men in my company. I am proud of of, uh, openly saying to people that, look, we care about the environment. In fact, the whole idea of our company was to try and prevent a billion people a year to get on planes, trains, and automobiles to have to travel to events. That was the genesis of this thing. This is our driving force behind this. So why would we downplay that, right? It it isn't the right message for all of our customers. Some of them don't care. Most of them probably don't care. But for the ones who know to look and who who actually have that as part of their decision-making matrix, that is an important thing. And I think there's not going to be a person in the world who goes, look, I, uh, my boss told me to put together an event, I need to pick an event platform, I don't really know how to do that. Here's my decision making matrix. I don't think any of them will have um, the environment as one of the decision making things. But this is where emotional decision making comes in. If they come across our blog post about why we care about the environment, and they go, yes, I strongly agree with this, that puts them in a massive bias towards us like if, we, if we're if we talking purely from a business point of view, it puts them in a massive bias towards us and they may choose us over a competitor who is otherwise equal or even slightly better because it aligns with their values better. And I think that's where, um, is that the reason we put this on our website? Is this the reason we do this? Absolutely not. But I think we're giving people the uh, our story that we care about to help them make the decisions that they need to make in order to... Um, yeah, for that to feel right for them. Mm.
1: There's something there around, you know, you talked about the decision, making it an easier decision or a clearer decision for someone who wants to work with you or maybe work for you. There's, I also believe there's something around making it easier for you to make decisions Mm -hmm. so that you choose one person over another or, or accepting a contract or rejecting it or going with a particular funder or not. And it's less based on just how much money they have, but more tuning into this is my narrative. This is my story. I live it. I breathe it. I know it. This is makes, I don't even need to do the SWOT analysis to decide what to do next.
2: Yeah. and too, I'm guessing recruiting people, that stuff's important too, right? In terms
1: of... Well, it's kind of incredible. Some people,
0: some people really care and some people just don't care crap at all.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and we get to choose, right? It's is, is in the conversation with somebody we hire, and they say eh, environment, whatever, next topic. Is that enough of a reason for us to choose not to hire them if they're an otherwise great candidate? That's on us. We get to choose. And I'm like, well, if you're neutral, then and you're able to build a massive product which helps us build our vision, then that's great. If you're actively anti-environment, slightly weird example, but because most people wouldn't be. But if you are like, um, for example, uh, our our. Um, uh, I don't know. If there's something about our company that make, that gives you pause and gives you like, oh, I don't I don't know if I want this, then it is actually a really good tool for talking through mm-hmm. values and decision-making processes,
2: I think. If you've got an issue with someone with pink hair for you.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. No, and this is something I said. So I interviewed somebody. A lot, a lot of our team is based in, uh, in Egypt. Uh, and I said to the guy, look, my hair is a weird color. I am... Uh, an opinionated person, and I put lots of thoughts out into the world. We hire mostly women in Egypt, which is very unusual. Uh, we have we have a pretty weird company um, culture. And you need to think about if that is right for you. If it isn't, then you shouldn't come work for us. It's just not it's not worth your time. It's not worth our time. And everybody's going to be disappointed. However, if you like free thinkers, if you like people doing things differently, if you are willing to take a chance on a company that is – careening in a different direction than the rest because all the previous times we did this, it didn't work, we may as well try something different. If that makes you excited, then we should continue this conversation. And I've had that exact, this is my little stock, <laughs> uh, my stump speech. Um, I've had this exact conversation with people and you see some people lean in and light up and you see some people kind of go, oh God, because they are like, oh, what if my family Googles this dude and they realize he has a podcast about, podcast about sex? right? That is potentially really problematic for some people. I think it's important that they know and then they can make a decision. They don't have to listen to my podcast, but they have to be okay with working in a company where one of the co-founders has lots of weird opinions about stuff because I'm not going to change that. <laughs> so this is kind of just uh, informed consent, essentially, for how you choose to live your life. And the, the beautiful thing is in, within Conf, we have such a beautiful Um, group of people who are all wonderful, strong, opinionated misfits and have really good, they deliver great work. It's really fun to work with them. It's one of the best teams I've ever worked with. So much fun. And it is really important to me that we keep that culture intact, that we do have a world where, uh, you know, bucking the trend a little bit is, is an okay thing to do, because I think culturally that is a really important thing. And again, that becomes part of storytelling. That becomes part of how we project ourselves externally. If you go to our website, it's bright pink and bright blue. It's a very unusual color combination for a startup. It doesn't exist in the world of uh, virtual events, but it's one of the many ways that we set ourselves apart. We're like, no, we are a bunch of uh, wonderful misfits. We're building an amazing product but we're doing it in a different way. If you don't like that, that is great. You don't have to like us. There's plenty of other people you can choose. If you do like it, it becomes like a much stronger, people get like a brand affinity. They get a a buy-in, that they really like what we do. And the feedback we get from customers is is they are generally super happy with how responsive we are, how good the product is and all that kind of stuff. And that all is part of a much bigger narrative that is being told, retold kind of in real time with our customers, like as we developed a company.
1: Mm. Well, you know, it reminds me of, um, was it Jeremiah Gardner saying that the brand isn't what you tell people, it's it's the stories people tell about you. Yep. And it sounds like, you know, by having at least the start, a very clear story about why you exist and how you work and living that rather than that just being something you put on your website, yeah. then that. If it's clear enough and people resonate it, they'll tell you that, tell that same story, maybe in their own words, but it will be true to the message and- Yeah, totally. And that's marketing gold in a sense. Yeah.
2: And my my head
0: designer at some point was in a call with me and goes, can you hold those glasses up to the camera? And I did. Well, if you want to know where that color pink on our website came from, (laughs) it was just because they liked the color of my glasses. Like, yeah, we can match that. That's cool. I like that color. You clearly like it because you wear it on your face. And that was the decision. That was the whole decision-making process. And it's a dumbass story about how somebody picks a, a, the main color for a brand, but also it works. It's like we're a bunch of, of of like creative weirdos who are willing to make decisions in 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 unusual ways. And the thing is, one decision is as good as another. Bright pink, bright red, bright orange doesn't actually save matter. Time
1: and money on focus groups.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, this will do. Next question. And this is the thing about startups, right? There are. Every day you make a million decisions that could go either way, and most of them don't really matter. I think it's just about, and this is really what company culture is. It's like how do, how does each individual person within the company make decisions? Like if, if the company is a person and you ask it a question, how would it answer? Mm. And if you get a brand that is strong enough, Mailchimp is a great example. If you think about like a big topic in the world and you go, okay, if Mailchimp Mil- was a person and I go and ask them that question, I can predict how they would answer. I could predict the same for FedEx. I can predict the same for Trump. Right, There's a bunch of like big brands. I'm not talking about Trump as a person. I'm talking about Trump as a brand. There are big brands who have personalities and those personalities actually take on a life of their own. And I think if you're able to build a brand personality for your company that is strong enough, it means that you take a lot of the decision-making out of the loop. Because people know how to answer the questions just because of like, oh, yeah, this is how Conf would do something. Or this is how the Happy Startup School would do something. Or this is how... FedEx
1: would do something. Mm-hmm. On, uh, on the, uh, the idea of questions and answering questions, um, we have a question from <gasps> Jamila. Um, so I, I, the way uh, I'll, I'll try and uh, communicate it as clearly as possible. She says, do you have advice on how to pitch when you're a woman in a tech startup or a minority? You have all the things you talked about. Why me? Why this? Why now? plus people's attitude towards you and your group? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I hate that question. And I love that question. So the problem is um, a lot of venture capitalists and a lot of invest- investors are really bad at their jobs. And what I mean by that is that they're really just pattern matching. They're going, look, I've made 100 investments. Two of those investments look, out, look worked out. What did they look like? And in the US in particular, it means that it's probably a white dude from Stanford who was extremely successful. And therefore, uh, all the white dudes from Stanford who I invested will be extremely successful. It's a complete fallacy. It doesn't make sense. Um, But that is the pattern matching at play. So if you turn up as a um, woman of color in a pitch room, you already have all of that weight against you. Should that be real? Absolutely not, it's bullshit. Um, And in in fact, there's a really strong argument to be made for people who think differently about things, solve problems differently, and therefore actually have a a leg up over others. Um, You can't walk into a, uh, a pitch meeting and say, hey, I'm a woman of color, and I am able to do better because I'm a woman of color. Either the person you say that to believes it or they don't. You're not going to convince them in that meeting. And so I think this is where research comes in. It's like, look, if this person turns out to be a raging racist then, or a raging sexist, then do a little bit of asking around, find out and just don't take the meeting because you're never going to convince them. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time, etc. cetera. Now, what you can do is really kind of lean into the things that I already mentioned. The why me? Well, I'm able to attract staff that nobody else is. Uh, why now? Well, A lot of stuff has shifted. A lot of conversations have shifted. We can really... Right right now is the right time to do this. Uh, And why this? Well, I've been fucking prejudiced against my entire life. Fucking done with it. I want to fix it. And this is one of the ways that I can fix that. And I'm clearly uh, massively ramping up the, the problem into that space. But use it to your advantage. Make that part of your narrative. Make it part of your story. And I think... I'm advising one company who it's a couple who lost a child to a horrible illness and they have put their entire life behind making people who live with that illness, uh, better. They've been at it for 15 years and they have more drive than anybody else I have ever seen in my life. They just keep fighting. They, their company has had 90 opportunities to go out of business, but every time they go, remember our child, let's keep going. And when you're sitting across from somebody like that, you're like, look, no matter what life throws at them, they will keep fighting. I would take all my money and invest in them if they would let me because I know they will never give up, never, because they have such a strong story behind what they're doing. And they have such a strong mission, such a strong drive. They've designed their entire life around learning the skill set, doing everything they need to do to help people who suffer from this problem such a powerful driver for them. And it Mm. is obviously an emotional story. It's really powerful. They're also people of color and they are struggling with that in the boardroom, but their story, or not in the boardroom, in the pitch space, in the context, but they are getting massive uh, positive uplift from the power of their story. And I think Mm. that's an example of how how you can use your life situation to to, to amplify your story rather than trying to hide behind it or trying to deflect or anything like that. And there's always going to be prejudice D-bags out there. So, you know, not everybody's gonna
1: like you. Thanks, I yeah. It's um it's a challenging one. Yeah, it's one of those it's a, it's a fantastic question, but also a really difficult one to answer because it's a, it's a systemic one, it's a loaded one in terms of the emotion that's in there. Um and, you know, the answers we can give are, you know, they are specifically stuff that you can control, but you can't control. Like you were saying, if someone doesn't like you, they won't like you. Spending your time trying to convince them, that's a mission in itself. Uh, and if yeah. you've got a business going in a certain direction, there's a certain amount of self-care and compassion that we also all need to have in terms of where do we want to pour our energies um, and, and yeah, and our thinking. Um, any other thoughts, Lawrence?
2: I was just thinking about, well, it wasn't meant to be a segue, but the chat we're going to have with Case Clump next week um, about turning pain into purpose makes me think of that. any injustice or yeah, trying to make something good from something bad is using that passion to drive whatever it is you're doing and get that message across. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that chat too because I think it follows on nicely from this really. like A lot of social entrepreneurs I think have been through some kind of trauma or difficulty or seen a problem firsthand and then flip that round. to so how can I make some good of it? Like that couple you talked about. Well, I think
0: there's something to that, right? Everybody who starts a business has a couple of screws loose. Um, it's not, it's not the same choice. It is definitely an uphill battle. It is so much work. It is so much energy. And a lot of us end up tying a lot of our personal worth in terms of how we think of ourselves and our actual literal worth, as in the money we have, into this this beast that is trying to grow and trying to make it. And a lot of them don't make it. That is such a hard journey. And I, in fact, in my work as a pitch coach, I've talked a whole bunch of people out of starting companies uh, just by holding up a mirror and saying, look, you're about to do a really, really hard thing. It's going to be an uphill battle. And unless you have some really good drive, like something that drives you that is an external um, motivator that is doing this for you. You're not going to do it. You need an intrinsic motivator. You need something. It's like it's like uh, the the writer's disease. You know, the writers who say I can't not write. If I don't write, I go crazy. This is th- this is what entrepreneurs go through. Like I I've had real jobs. I've been in VC. I've been a policeman. I've been all, I've done all sorts of things. But the thing that I keep coming back to is entrepreneurship. And I think it's is it a mental illness? We can have a different conversation about that at some point. But I think there is something really. There's something really powerful about just saying yes to this compulsion to start companies and think about okay, what are the downsides? How do I mitigate those downsides?
1: It's uh and that's why we take the, the the pleasure with the pain or the pain with the pleasure. It's it's part of our DNA. It's it's um and there's somewhere we want to get to. And I think this is interesting about this conversation we're gonna have with Case next next week. Um, he had a massive rant at summer camp. Um a few years ago where you know there's a, this very strong narrative around you know find your purpose find right. work you love and you'll be happy and that's amazing and you, everything's lo- you know all all great get your um instagram account going but um if there's not something that's really driving you and usually it's something that you felt or you you felt someone else's pain you want to change it and take it away a lot of the time you'll you'll just either not move, not get anything started, or you get disheartened. Like you're telling the story of that couple, you'll get dis- disheartened as soon as an obstacle comes in the way. so yeah. th- there's something when you just
0: can't how- do that as an entrepreneur, you'll have so many setbacks. Right? It is basically, and this is the thing. And I think especially if you have the kind of personality who is who is um, focusing on the negatives, and I'm definitely I'm, I'm definitely that person. I am a pessimist to the bone. Um, and I always focus, like it, we had an event last week, we had an event this week, like 99.7% of everything went well. And then there was a couple of little things that didn't. Guess what I'm obsessing about? Mm-hmm. I can't just sit back and, and, and break open a bottle of beer and go, you know what? This event went great. There was, it, it was like for one minute that something went wrong. For the rest of the 20 hours of this event, everything was fine. No, I focus on that one minute and I'm driving myself crazy about that. Mm-hmm. And it's not healthy. And it's something I need to work on. Um but I think that sort of that sort of real um the combination of attention to detail and having big picture vision I think is what makes really good entrepreneurs.
2: Hmm. And learning to let go at times. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and being okay not
1: being liked. I know I can say <laughs>
2: that but Although you are getting lots of lovely comments in the in the chat so uh
1: yeah. Uh, no, it's fantastic and um I'm glad Jamila got um what she needed from your response—that's uh, that, yeah. awesome. We are now coming towards the end. Um, if people want to, I think you've already uh, posted some links on the chat there, Hiya. But uh, if you want to just say it out loud for the people listening on the podcast or anyone, yeah, I've been the, I've been course.
0: spamming the chat with all the stuff I'm doing. Uh, the two main things is I run a consultancy that is uh, helping people uh, pitch. As part of that, I ended up writing a book. So Haya.me, Dot Me H A J. H-A-J-E.me uh, is the consultancy bit, and there's a link to the book in there, and you can take a look at that. That's out now in all good bookstores. The other thing is the, the virtual conferencing platform called Conf, K-O-N-F.co, Um it's a great way to run uh, events for people who love people. Um, I'm very big on emotional connection and finding ways of, of stripping away the things that stops people from being able to connect. Um, it's one of my favorite things, and really, that's one of the big driving forces behind this platform. Like, I, I, I think the biggest challenge with virtual events is that it's very hard to make a real, meaningful new connection with someone without meeting them in person. But that is the holy grail, right? If we manage to make that, if we, if we manage to create a new uh, collaboration or business partnership or friendship via a virtual event, that is my, that is my mission. Awesome. Well,
2: I was waiting to talk about the backlog. (laughs) Community and friendship. What are you talking about? Yep. (laughs) Sorry, can't leave us without telling us. Why have you got a pink star? What was that for? What was the uh, achievement? Sorry, say that again. I've got a pink star on his jumper. I need to know Have I got a
1: pink star? Oh, kids, I've no idea why I got a pink star. It was probably really interesting and really important, but I just ignored the children when they were talking. Um before we got anything else that you want to say, Lawrence?
2: No, thanks to Hire for well, I said get up early, but you've been up since midnight anyway. So it's more like hanging with us at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, I think someone I think Marcel was saying maybe the future book is storytelling as a CEO, um, which might be an interesting Ooh. one but further down the like Maybe this time next year we we do it again.
0: I mean you I'm go, a sucker go. for punishment. Why why only do two <laughs> things at once, right?
2: i to get a out to get you on here otherwise we've got too many things that we could get you on here for that's true get...
1: that's true you need some sort of hook yeah <laughs> so no it's thank you very much hi again um i love this well it's, there's this roller coaster journey of being an entrepreneur it isn't for everyone it, it, if you're if you like the teacup ride going round round in circles this isn't where you want to be if <laughs> you want to if you want the roller coaster which is not only a roller coaster in terms of the journey of building the business, but also that internal roller coaster of today is shit, today is great, today is shit, today is great, and also how much we learn along the way. Uh, I love what uh, Kim said. It's a lonely journey, and uh, our role, you know, in this world where we are more separated than ever, our role, myself and Lawrence, is trying to create more connection in this entrepreneurial journey, and how can we walk alongside each other rather than trying to trample over each other to get to the top so
2: yep. if you're
1: interested in that please keep on following our fast friday Far check us out at the happy to learn more about our story next wednesday um i'm going to be talking to lana yelenyev uh, it's at midday on wednesday uk time uh, and we're going to be talking about community and this is one of the things and building a community particularly around a coaching business coaching or training business and what does that mean in terms of increasing the impact of what you do and like we said uh, before on friday on the fireside we got uh, case klomp uh, the buddhist businessman uh, the serial purpose preneur, uh, and he's going to be sharing his thoughts around Purpose and pain. So, if you are a masochist or entrepreneurial masochist, <laughs> uh, come join us next Friday. And another, that have a great weekend! Thank you guys, thanks uh, everyone, thanks, Haya. and look forward to seeing you again soon. Higher, when uh, thank you so much for having me.
2: <laughs> Take
1: care, bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. Also, if you'd like to learn more about being a happy entrepreneur and want to connect with more people like you, then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Amongst many other things about business and life, we'll help you answer the following questions. How can I serve others by being myself? And how can I discover who I really am by serving others?